0: This sermon, Grace in Antioch, was preached by Tom Wilkins on Sunday, May 29, 2022, at Sovereign Grace Church. Good morning. Good morning. If you're new, my name is Tom, and I have a joy of being one of the pastors here. If I could have you join me this morning as we stand and read God's Word. If you would turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts 11, 19. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch and when he came he saw the grace of God he was glad called Christians. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your Son, Jesus, would be exalted as we hear the Word of Christ this morning. You have already clearly spoken to us in your word as we just read it now Holy Spirit move and have your way your word will not return to you void Lord you will accomplish what you have set out to accomplish through your word and I pray that we would find hope that that would be the case for us that we would be changed at hearing your word I also pray that we would be faithful to be doers of your word as well, that we would not come to your word as if looking in a mirror and then walking away, not making any changes, that we would come to your word. And we come asking you this morning, Lord, where do you want us to change? And we end our opening prayer this morning knowing that you will change us. And so you will answer that. You will show us where you want us to change and by your grace. You will give us power to never be the same again now that we've heard your word. Lord, your word is that powerful, and we trust you. Jesus, you be exalted. Thank you for dying for us. And boy, it's good to know that you are alive and well and reigning at the right hand of the Father, and we long for your return. Be exalted. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Mm. The centerpiece of the text, if you're wondering where that is, you can mark it in your Bible, is verse 23. And when Barnabas came, he saw the grace of God. I've titled the message this morning, Grace in Antioch. There's a number of ways that we could word this. Of course, But it is clear in this text, there is evidence that Barnabas beholds, he saw the grace of God, and it was in Antioch. Situated on the banks of the Arontas River, Rome's third largest city, Antioch, of that day. I can't pronounce the current day name of it, it's in the far eastern part of Turkey now, a little tucked in corner down there. It was a cosmopolitan city. Just about every known nation would travel through this hustle and bustle town of Antioch. It was a bridge for the Roman commerce to the west, the Silk Road, and so on, went through this town. Sadly, it was also known for other commerce. It was rank with depravity. This city was marked by pagan temples and ritual idolatry of numerous cults like those of Artemis, Apollo, and Daphne. On the the beautiful, polished, marble stone streets roamed myriads of darkened, lost people from all over the world. But in this dark city, the light of the good news of Jesus has now poured in. There was a reference, by the way, to this town of Antioch being on the river. If you were from any of the other towns, if anything bad was happening to your town, it's because the filth had washed into your city from Antioch in that river. Horrible reputation. Now the light of the gospel has now poured in to that city. What a great, merciful merciful move on God's part. The message of Jesus Christ had reached their deaf ears and had opened their blind eyes. Grace had come to Antioch, God's grace unto salvation. Lisa and I are returning from California on Friday evening, stopped again in Vegas. And I often, when we have flown through. Vegas is one of those stopover bridge places for us. We're not interested in going. I personally have had an arrogant approach to Vegas. And after studying, in God's kindness, I'd been studying this text, and we landed in Vegas on Friday evening. I went into the men's room and in the restroom, on the walls and in the stalls, were help signs for those caught in human trafficking. I've never seen that in a public restroom. But in Vegas, it's there. So I quickly Googled it. I thought, what's, what's going on? It's one of the primary targets for human trafficking, that town. And in God's mercy, instead of my normal, I never want to come to this place again. In God's mercy, I heard these words in my head. Las Vegas is Antioch. And then I remembered we had dear friends that had relocated to Vegas years ago. There are gospel preaching churches in Vegas Vegas is Antioch, and the gospel has come to Vegas. It's a really bad place, but I think it's safe to say I'm spoiling the message. Let's join and plant a church in Vegas. Let's join all the other gospel-preaching churches and go to Vegas with the gospel. I've summarized maybe these three points. I've summarized it this way. I call it the big idea. God's grace saves it strengthens and it marks the church. God's grace saves. God's grace strengthens and it marks the church. I had, I didn't have a better word than mark, so just bear with that. And when we get there, maybe we'll understand it a little bit better. Let's look at point one in God's word. Let's read verses nineteen through twenty-one again. Now, those who were scattered because of persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking. The word to no one except Jews. If you're not familiar with what's happened, or if you're new to us today, where we've been in a series and you would have known at this point, Steve, Stephen preaches the gospel faithfully in Judea and then he is slaughtered for being a Christian. He's stoned, actually. And then the church is heavily persecuted at the hands of Saul, being one of the primary leaders, Saul, who will later. You'll find his name is Paul. It's like Tom Thomas van Essler. Sorry, that's my weird middle name. I'm Dutch in my history. I don't know nothing about them, but I will let you pay for your lunch. <laughs> um, Saul and Paul, the same man, and he's referenced in God's mercy in this text. Grace had come to Antioch. Verse 20 reads like this, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, those are the Greeks, non-Jewish, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 19 reveals that believers had been scattered because of the persecution. This is God's doing. Humanly speaking, the believers no longer can be in unity. They can't hang together. They are driven out of their place except for the disciples who remained back in Jerusalem. The Christians are scattered abroad. And they went on preaching the word of Christ. This is clearly a providential move on God's part. There is no way around the fact that the primary means of grace In the advance of the gospel to all of the known world and finally into Eastwood High School back in El Paso is God's sovereign plan, his sovereign will, his sovereign grace came to me, came to you, came to Antioch, his sovereign will, his sovereign grace Look at verse 19 again. And those who were scattered because of the persecution, speaking the word to no one except the Jews, and so we know the Jews are getting it, but then there were also some of them, and behold, even the man who carried the cross for Christ, we discover out of Cyrene, is part of this. They came to Antioch, and they preached the word, and many were saved. Grace came to Antioch providentially, God's own doing. But it also came through this preaching of the good news. And so sometimes when we break these things up into points, it's as if they're disconnected. Don't disconnect these. They are connected in the scriptures. In God's providence, it's the preaching of the good news that is saving. Romans 5, 13 through 15 and 17, read like this. And you don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. But study this later. Romans 5, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Lisa and I met in high school. I met her in Spanish class. We didn't learn one word except for amor in Spanish. We're high school sweethearts. It's an amazing thing. But how beautiful are the feet of Mrs. A down at First Hall, a teacher who opened her room every day for a student-led, because you had to call it that, Christian meeting every day. How beautiful are her feet as she preached the good news to young men and young women like me and my wife. In verse 17, and so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There is no salvation. There is no heaven without the word of Christ. God's sovereign plan unfolded in the lives of some of the citizens of Antioch when they heard the word of Christ preached alongside. And alongside the good news of Jesus being preached was this also statement of testimony. The hand of the Lord was with them. There in verse 21, look at those words. It's super helpful. By the way, these words are saving as we speak this morning. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And by the way, this is an Old Testament reference. If you're familiar with this, it's the favor, but in specific, it's the power of God made manifest in their midst, meaning there is a manifestation occurring that is evident to the other people present. God is making himself known. God is spirit. No one has seen God and lived, is what the scriptures would say but yet he reveals his power in such a way it's described as the hand of God moving in their midst. It is known and seen and experienced. And then following this, we said it a minute ago, is the middle of that text. Barnabas saw the grace of God. The word is preached. The manifest power of God saved its hearers. There is power in the preached word of Christ. Luther makes this simple statement. Martin Luther makes this statement. If the word is spoken, all things are possible. You know the story because your pastor has probably told you before, but you're gonna get the East Side Slandered version. By the way, that's a lowercase ESV. That's what I call it. I grew up on the east side of town. So here's the East Side Slandered version of a brief history of Luther and Melanchthon. Luther is asked, in a sense, so are you amazed at what's going on with this reformation that's occurring as the word of God spreads? And he says, me and Melanchthon were back in, I don't know, Phoenix, having beer. The word did it all. His phrase, if the word is spoken, all things are possible. If you're in this room this morning and have not believed in Christ, the word of Christ is being preached today. You, if you believe, will be saved. Cry out to Christ and you will be saved. You don't have to get the doctrines of the Reformation to be saved. You just need to know that Christ has come to save sinners and that would be you. That was me. Believe in Christ and you will be saved. Call out to him. Peter preaches to Cornelius' family in the verses right before this, these words. How God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses to all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. Remember, these are words spoken to people that have never heard these words before. They put him to death, put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not only not to all the people but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the anointed one by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that for you and for me, for everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. You've heard his word, the word of Christ, call out to him, and you will never be lost again. Believe in Christ and be saved. The word for us, the Christian how is it possible that the citizens of Antioch would be or could be forgiven by a holy and just God in the first place? Antioch's sin rose to heaven and divine holy revulsion would only provoke the wrath of God. If you want to get a taste of a little bit of divine provocation against sin is go to the latest news feed about what happened in Uvalde, Texas. When an 18-year-old, as soon as he's old enough, buys guns and ammunition and mows down unimaginably young people and two teachers. I work for El Paso Independent School District. I've walked in and out of buildings that are shaped just like Uvalde, and I just... I remember walking in the building. I remember doors being left open. I remember all of that. I'm beginning to search through my newsfeed. I'm looking for something that's gonna provide me relief. Why would he do this? How is this possible? Something inside of me provokes that sense of this is absolute evil, and we're seeing it publicly proclaimed. Evil personified in a young boy mowing down children, as it were. Now you and I begin to only glimpse of what a holy God must begin to react to when it comes to the sin of Antioch. How is it possible that he could or would save them? How is it possible for Antioch to not be drowned by the Orontes River that it was on the banks of and swept out into the ocean to never be seen? Grace is the only answer to that question the grace of God and the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God coming and bearing the wrath they deserved giving them salvation if only they would believe and call out to Christ for salvation verse 21 says of Antioch and the hand of the Lord was with them God has shown his mercy Luther's words now ring true for Antioch. If the word is spoken, then all things are possible. We're asking, how is it possible Antioch is saved? It's because God has spoken it so. Maybe another question you and I can ask is, how is it possible for us, the citizens of Tucson, to be forgiven by a holy and just God? Are we at the core any different than Antioch? We're not. How is it possible that in the Lord and his wrath would not simply cause Mount Lemmon to give way and fall on top of us? The answer is the same. Mercy. Hebrews 8, 12 says it like this. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. That's how it's possible. Mercy is the only answer. So then what are you and I going to do? How are we going to live in the good of this? Let's consider these three brief things. Evangelize with the word of God. We cannot evangelize without the word of God. If we go with our good behavior children, it's not gonna save I can't just simply tell people, I used to be really bad as a kid, and now I'm really good. No, they have to hear the words of Christ. They have to hear the words of salvation. They have to hear the word of God. Evangelize with the word of God. Preach Jesus. Now for me, over the years, I have found, particularly over the last, I would say it's been about four years The Lord has given me this thought that just pops into my head every time that it comes from Him, it comes from His Word. That in certain situations, and there was this one where we were in line, just one of those, we were in a really good Mexican food place. And I was told the best Mexican food by a guy in the UK, said the best Mexican food in America is in Tucson. We're still looking for it. We've been here for a while. So we were in line at a Mexican food store, and I was with co workers. And one of our co workers, she has professed Christ, but clearly living as if she's not Christ. But she knew that I was a Christian. She knew that I'd stop being a pastor full time for a while. And we were out at lunch as a group of folks, and we're in line, and she is starting to tell a story, and then she blurts out some expletives, and then she turns, which is often the case if when someone finds out you're a Christian, they're like, oh, I'm really sorry I said that. I'm sorry. Tim, I'm sorry. Let me just say what I just said. I know that probably offends you. And she's saying this to me. So I just said back to her, I said, Kim, those words I told you the Lord has given me graciously is, Kim, this is why we needed a Savior. I'm no different than you. We profess Christ, and yet we live at times as if we're not. And in this brief conversation headed up to pay for our bill, I'm able to encourage this woman who knows of Christ, lives as if she's not belonging to Christ, but who needs Christ, my testimony of how desperate I needed a Savior in very brief words. Look for opportunities to preach the word. What I told her in the line was this brief story of the tower had fallen on the people. And Jesus is being asked, so what about them? And Jesus' response essentially is, you need to repent. You need a Savior. And strangely enough, it's sufficient. So what about Uvalde? We need a Savior. Also, as we go about, be anchored and trust in the providence of God that's at work. We know this right from the beginning. You are right where he has called you right now. God has placed you here in this city for this purpose. You have been scattered either by your job calling you out and moving you, Are you making a decision to move here because you can't stand the freezing northern part of the country, although it's beautiful, but down here you can finally thaw out? God has providentially brought you here. Tell your story of Christ's goodness to you, anchored in trusting in the providence of God. Also be anchored in trusting in the power of the word of God alone to save In a way that removes the burden for you and I to try to figure out how in the world am I going to share with my sun-tanned, beer-drinking, baked buddy out on the golf course? How am I going to get through into his life? The Word of God gets through into his life. We had just read at length, for those that may be present have not believed in Christ, words that they have never heard. Strange parts of the story of Jesus coming and dying for them, they are the words of life. Trust in the power of the word to save and share the word. So we've looked at the grace of God and how it has come to Antioch through the preached word. Now let's look at how the grace of God has come to Antioch through grace gifted men. Grace gifted men. Let's read together verses 22 through 26. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And by the way, my heart went out to the guys in Jerusalem. If you've been following along in this story, as we've been going through this uh, telling of Acts by Luke, Remember, these guys are Jewish guys. The gospel has been advancing among the Jewish people, but now something radically has begun to occur. Gentiles are hearing the gospel and are being saved and are being added to their midst, and it is very concerning to them. They don't know what to do yet, and it's gonna continue to be a difficult thing. They, they'll embrace it, and then they'll struggle with it, and they'll embrace it again, and they'll struggle with it, and that will go all the way until today gonna wrestle with this issue. But it's almost as if they just heard, are you kidding? A centurion, his whole family, they're saved and like, okay, this is amazing. It's amazing that God is saving them and adding them to the church. And they're just about to step away and they hear, are you kidding? Antioch as well? That's exactly what's occurring in the text. It gets to the ears. (laughs) It comes to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and so they send Barabbas to Antioch. And when he came, Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast in purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barabbas went to Tarsus and to look for Saul And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Let's consider this text. Barnabas was picked and sent. See the providence of God in that. But there's also a human reason and a good reason, and it's attached to the providence and goodness of God. 24, so let's look at this. With your Bibles, do this. Look at verse 24 with me. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit in faith. That verse informs what we hear about Barabbas. Barnabas, excuse me. <laughs> I'm going to say Barabbas and Barnabas probably multiple times. The guy's name is Barnabas. Actually, his name is Joseph. And they've nicknamed him Barnabas, son of encouragement. When he came, he saw the grace of God. Barnabas is picked and sent. Verse 24 informs Why he was chosen for this task. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And Acts 4, his honesty and integrity were juxtaposed to the lying deceitfulness of Ananias in the giving of the gifts. His character was known and trusted in the church. He had the gift of teaching and instruction, nicknamed the son of encouragement. He was a good guy. One of those guys you want to get around. He was a man full of discernment as well. Verse 23 also was informed by verse 24. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and this gave him eyes to see God's gracious work in the redemption of the Antioch saints. Maybe one of the things we could quickly apply is, are we quick to see God's work of grace? Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit giving us discernment to know right and wrong, where God is at work and where he is not at work. His love and care, <laughs> Barnabas' love and care for the saints in his church led him to exhort them to all remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast in purpose. Uh, they and we needed encouragement to remain steadfast in the face of what was certainly coming to them in Antioch. Persecution had scattered them. Persecution was on their heels. They needed that encouragement hear that encouragement, be faithful to the Lord and steadfast in purpose. You're gonna need to do this. Barnabas was a man full of love and care for the saints, but being led by the Spirit, he saw that he would also need help. And so he gets help. Barnabas seeks out for Saul for help. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a verb in the text that he looks, looks, he looks for Saul it's the same verb being used when Jesus disappears from his parents, when he's a young man, is found at the temple. They searched feverishly for him. They were panicked in their, sense, in their search for him. They were looking for him with great desperation. It's the same verb, Barnabas, in great desperation, is looking for Saul. I would venture to say and add maybe add to, well, not in a sinful way, to the text He's being moved by God's providence to look for Saul. It has been about 14 years. If you want to know what the time frame is, 14 years since Saul has been converted and what we're finding in this text. Paul's list of sufferings, Paul's list of sufferings and and visions out of 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 had likely already occurred. Saul's family had since likely disarroted him for following Jesus. But here's the important note about God's providence involved. God's grace, hear this, is revealed in it was Saul that led out in the violent persecution of the church, even witnessing to the point of death of many of those saints. And the church was scattered. And in the scattering, some of the saints landed in Antioch and preached Jesus. Now Saul, the one who was chasing them, is now being sought out, found, and taken back to Antioch. Of all the people, he's going to be coming, loving, caring for, and teaching this church. This can only be the grace of God occurring in Antioch. Barnabas sets, gets Saul to help, and it changes history. It's amazing what's packed right here in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. It's world changing in the text. In humility, this is where we see the shift, Barnabas will decrease over the next few chapters, and Saul will increase. This morning I had the privilege of looking across my new desk at the founding pastor of this church, the original senior pastor Tim Lambros. And say, You did this, bro. You decreased, and Eric and Derek increased. He, in a sense, stepped aside and Derek took over as lead pastor. And guess what? The gospel advanced. Barnabas and Saul will become Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas and Saul will become Paul and Barnabas. The church will advance. The gospel will triumph. In the same gospel pattern as John the Baptist would decrease, Jesus will increase. So Tim decreases and Jesus increases in this church. Saul, Paul, will become what historians describe as one of the most influential men. This is both in the church and outside the church. The estimation of the Apostle Paul is he's described as one of the most influential men, other than Jesus, of course, in the Christian church, much less in world history. It reshaped the world. This move, Barnabas seeking out desperately for Saul. To go to Antioch, this third largest city in Rome, changes history from then on. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Remember, we're looking at how grace-gifted men are now given to this city, but they're given in particular to the church in this city. The church gathered and was taught by these men, Barnabas and Saul in verse 26 We're there for a whole year and met with the church and taught a great many people. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have sat under Barnabas and watched this man full of the Holy Spirit talk about how he was saved and to teach from God's word faithfully the word of Christ. I would have loved to have heard Saul now say, what in the world has been going on the last 14 years as he later will describe himself as being the chief of sinners. You could not poke Paul enough or long enough in his testimony before you found out, oh, you want to know who I was? I was the killer of the church. I was the destroyer of the church. If it was up to me, Christ would never be on the lips of another person on the face of the planet. He showed mercy to me. These men taught the church for a year. So let's consider, it's a weird place for some application, but let's consider it just for a minute. Am I an encourager like Barnabas? In other words, do I see the grace of God at work in people's lives? You know, my heart goes out to dads at this moment. You're doing everything you can to grab those boys by the ear, grab those Well, not your girls. Don't grab your girls by the ear. Bring them gently. Do you see God's work in their life? Are you an encourager or are you just a realist? You like calling it like it is? Or am I pragmatic? I think of how this is going to work. What's going to work best? You know, if Barnabas was pragmatic when it came to encouraging this church in Antioch, Saul would not have been the call on that one. Don't look for Saul. Just find somebody else. This guy's got some luggage he's gonna bring with him. Now, Barnabas, being filled with the Spirit, is not a pragmatist. He's not looking for what will work. He's listening to what God has called him to do. Am I a Barnabas? A discerning encourager of others, building up rather than tearing down, hopeful rather than untrusting, watching and learning rather than proud and uncharitable towards the church or those in it. I personally have had a growing concern when I'm in discourse with people that are in the church. And I don't mean this one, but when I'm talking to people in general, other Christians in general, like, well, you know, the problem with the church is blah, blah, blah. And for a while I was like, you know, you're right. That is a problem with the church. But what's occurred to me is cynicism has crept into my heart regarding this. This is the bride of Christ we're talking about. So let's go back and say that again. You know what the problem with the bride of Christ is? I think that would like stop the rest of the sentence. You're talking about Christ's wife. So I needed to rethink this. And I think it's right for us to reconsider our disposition towards the church today. Does it have its issues? It absolutely does. Ask Paul. His opening words to the Corinthian church aren't, aren't you bunch of idiots. They're God is at work in you in every area of your life. I should be looking for evidences of God's grace in the church. Where do I see Jesus preach faithfully where do I see the hand of the Lord that is at work in the church and do I see my pastors or my brothers and sisters my community group leaders and those that come alongside me to disciple me giving me words of exhortation and words of encouragement do I see them as a gift and embrace them as God's gift to me verse 25 so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. You know, the incredible worldwide impact of these verses cannot be overstated. These two men showed this local church, Christ, standing, as it were, with one hand on the members of these church, on these saints, one hand on their shoulders, and pointing to Christ. Amazingly, Antioch itself, that city, will become the mission base for gospel advance to the ends of the unknown world. It's not just one of the cities that gets touched by the gospel and the grace of God, which is amazing in and of itself that it would be. It is a key city to the fact that you and I are here today. The gospel went to the west because these two men taught in that church faithfully for a year. The grace of God has come to the church in Antioch through the preaching of the word and through these grace-gifted men and now finally the grace of God has come to Antioch through Christians. Now for you and I to hear that, it's like we're Christians, we get it, but this is very different during this time. Hear those words, the very last words in verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Christians. The character and lives of these growing Gentile saints were so changed and so changed by the gospel of God through this means of discipleship and instruction that even non-believers took notice. The change was so stark and real that they lived totally different, now living Out there, new life in Jesus Christ, no longer worshiping pagan gods and uh, goddesses. goddesses It's a real word. They heeded Barnabas' first exhortation to them, remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast in purpose. And it changed them. And the result was God's power to redeem a man became evident to everyone. For a redeemed woman to be an example of Christ to her neighbors. I can imagine, let's use our sanctified imagination, that Saul's words and instruction included the same heart and maybe the same detail as let's turn to Galatians chapter five together. Galatians chapter five. And I can imagine Galatians is written about a year or two after this occurrence. After him being brought to Antioch, about a year or two later, he writes Galatians. He writes in chapter 5, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 19, and now the works of the flesh are evident patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Their sexual immorality stopped, the fighting and jealousy stopped, the love was genuine, the joy was noticeable, even in the face of suffering. The forgiveness and kindness was amazing. The self-control that replaced the outbursts of anger was noticeable. The term Christian was not a compliment, nor had the church come up with it. Christian was not used to distinguish them from non-Christians. It was calling them out as not belonging to either the Jews or the Gentiles. They're not either the Jew or nor the Gentile, they're Christian. There was a new person created by God. The scriptures will say a new kind of people, a royal people, a new race of people, not Jews, not Gentiles, Jesus people. And so they're Christian. They are like Jesus. Two words mashed together, saying these people They're like Jesus. Derek Thomas writes in his commentary, What emerged in Antioch, a pagan Roman city, was a community in which Christian values and zeal were so palpable that the unbelievers could see it even if they derided them for it. Such an environment sifted the wheat from the shaft. Only true Christianity could survive in such an environment. Sooner or later, nominal Christianity will accommodate itself to the pagan culture. It will adopt its values and conform to its levels of acceptability. What showed itself in Antioch was something, though, entirely counter-cultural. In such an environment, there is no mistaking the true church. When its members are truly committed to Christ, the result is something that shines brightly. It may prove costly, To shine for Jesus in a godless society, but in doing so, we become the beacons of hope to a dying world. Nor should we underestimate the way such a light can be a draw for those whose lives are engulfed by darkness. Hear those last two sentences. It may prove costly to shine for Jesus in a godless society, but in doing so, we become the beacons of hope for a dying world. Nor should we underestimate the way such a light can draw those whose lives are engulfed by darkness. So let's ask ourselves this question. Are we so changed by the Holy Spirit that we are known for being other than the world Is there any marked difference in our nature and character that would be evident to even those outside the church that we would be Christian? In today's society, to be Christian is not an endearing label anymore. I think we're headed back to Antioch in that sense. You know, as Americans, to be Christian, that was, yeah, of course we're Christian Uh, Literature was shaped by Christianity, and now we are progressively in a non-Christian. The distinction for Christian is taking on the same overtones as it did in Antioch, and yet they, our culture, need this grace of Christians present. They need the grace of God revealed in true Christians that are beacons of hope shining light into the darkness. It is not the Spirit of God that moves in us. Now there are Christians saying, get away from the world as fast as you can. Oh, it definitely calls us, God's Spirit calls us to not be of the world, but he has left us in this world as a beacon of light, to reveal his image, to preach his son Jesus to those who desperately need him. Also, now we can call ourselves in this, Christian, do you see the mercy of God to Tucson in the fact that he has called you, saved you, he's changing you, he is with you in the power of the Spirit? Do you see that this is the grace of God to this city. If you're visiting here, we have family and friends from El Paso. Do you see the fact that you are Christian is actually God's doing in your town? You know, outside his power, we have nothing to offer Tucson, nothing. But in his power, we have the grace of God to offer this city. Do you see that the mercy of God has come to Tucson by holding back his wrath? Instead, he planted a church in 2000. Do you see that this small gathering of a local church is present in this city? Because the Lord has seen fit to call men and women to himself in this town. You are God's grace gift. We are God's grace to this city. We are his means of grace to this darkness. Consider this. And Rick, you can go ahead and come up. We are changed for God's glory. That's the ultimate reason that we would turn and worship and exalt Christ. We are changed for his glory. but. We are also changed for our good. The Lord has been merciful to us. He has saved us to the death and destruction of sin in our lives. He has done this for his glory, and he has done this for our good. But he has changed us. He, we have been changed by him for them. He has made us Christian for our city, for our neighborhoods. He has made us for them. God's grace does save, it does strengthen, and it does mark the church. You know, Tucson is Antioch, and we're here now. Let's go to them.